We're starting quizzing. I don't have a fancy introduction other than I just want to give a shout out to all of the quizzers. Can I guess, can you get you guys to stand up please? Quizzers and coaches. And some of them are serving in the back too. So we've got two teams this year. Thanks guys, you can sit down. We've got two teams this year. They are studying um, Exodus. Several chapters, lots of chapters in Exodus, and then some in Numbers. So uh, if you're new around here and you haven't gone through a quizzing season with us, let me just tell you a little bit. Um, One of the things that we like to do is um, preach on Sunday mornings what the quizzers are going to be quizzing about that evening. And um, we also use the ESV because that's what they are studying out of. And for those of you who know what quizzing is about, words are very important. The exact words are very important. So I, there's a couple times today that I'm going to be summarizing. Guys, make sure you follow along in your books because I might not give all the exact words. But when I read, I'm going to read it from the ESV because... Uh, the same, a word that means the same thing but is the wrong word is a wrong answer. That's how specific they get. So, okay, this is like a real casual morning. We've been here for hours. There's something that happens when we spend hours together and also in the presence of God. And there's also something that happens when you spend hours awake. But let's, let's um, I'm just going to invite the Lord to to be here and to continue to speak to us this morning. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your presence here. And we thank you that we can enter into your presence. We don't need to be afraid of you. We thank you for that. We pray that you would continue to speak to us this morning. You have our attention, and we ask that you would speak to us And not only reveal yourself to us in a greater way, but also continue to clarify the assignment that you have for us, individually and corporately. We just give you honor and glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to start in Exodus. Uh, The quizzers are quizzing on Exodus chapters 1 through 5. I'm not going to read all of it um, because, yeah, we don't need to. I'm not going to read all of it, but you guys can read it um, to get yourselves filled in before you go watch the match. But let me just give you a a little bit of an intro. Okay, the setting is Egypt. Um, We study Egypt is one of those places that even if you're not studying biblical history, you study the history of Egypt. There's so much recorded about Egypt because of the way things were able to be preserved and the way they preserved things in their pyramids. So there's a lot of information about Egypt. But in this particular situation, um, there was a famine in Joseph's lifetime. And so the people of Israel moved to Egypt because that's where they were able to find food. And Joseph was there. As they lived there, they were fruitful and they increased greatly and they multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now, then there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. 
He was threatened by their growing numbers, so he dealt shrewdly with the people of Israel. He afflicted them with heavy burdens and oppressed them by ruthlessly making them work as slaves. Yes, some of those are ESV words. Then the king of Egypt took another step and commanded that every son born to the Hebrews be killed. And when the midwives didn't follow those instructions, he told his people to cast them into the Nile River. About that time, Moses was born. Moses' parents hid him for three months. He must have not been a very fussy baby. When they could hide him no longer, his mother made a waterproof basket and placed him in the basket in the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter came down to the river. She saw the to bathe, she saw the baby in the, she saw the basket, she saw the baby. She realized it was a Hebrew baby, and Moses' older sister was there. That was planned, watching over the baby. And so um, she made this connection with Pharaoh's daughter, asked if they want, if Pharaoh's daughter wants her to go find somebody to nurse the baby for her, to take care of the baby, and she said yes. So Moses' sister went back and got their mom. And Scholars believe that Moses may have been in his parents' home anywhere from three to seven years before he moved to Pharaoh's house. Certainly, it was an opportunity for a foundation of faith to be laid in his life before he went to Pharaoh's house. When he lived in Pharaoh's house, Moses was trained to help govern Egypt, along with all the other children of the royal family. His schooling would have included astronomy, mathematics, literature, architecture, agriculture, military skills, business, trade, economics, and foreign languages. As a member of the Egyptian government, Moses served as an overseer of building projects in the Nile Delta. While he was there, he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew. He still knew who his people were. At the age of 40, Moses fled to the land of Midian, where he lived for another 40 years. And we're going to pick up reading the story in Exodus chapter 2, starting at verse 23. During those many days, which was actually 40 years, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God is the one who sees, and he hears, and he knows. Let's continue reading in the beginning of chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of God appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And God said, I am the God of your father, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses is 80 years old now. While the first 40 years of his life were lived in luxury and royalty and privilege and the abundance of human pleasures, the next 40 years were lived as a shepherd in the desert, tending the sheep of his father-in-law. And we see here that Moses was going about his ordinary daily life, taking care of the sheep in the desert. It's harder to take care of sheep in a desert than it is in a place that's full of lush pastures, right? It takes some more work. He's doing his ordinary job, and God gets his attention. God gets his, gets his attention through a bush that's burning but doesn't burn up. So the fact that the bush was burning was not the attention-getting part. The fact that the bush did not burn up is what got Moses' attention. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see the bush, he spoke to Moses. He said, don't come any nearer. Take off your sandals because you're on holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It struck me when I was studying this section how so many times we automatically skip, it, when we're familiar with these scriptures, we automatically skip to the, the God of, of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But it started with, I am the God of your father. That's how he identified himself to Moses. And how did Moses respond? He hid his face. Why did he hide his face over here? Because he was afraid of God. He was afraid to look at God, right? Sierra, he was afraid to look at God. Yeah? Did I say it right? Did I hear you wrong? Let's continue reading in Exodus um, picking Exodus 3, picking up at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of a good list. Who knows the list? Tessa, nice and loud. Which one, is she, which one does she need help with? Amorites. That's right. The quizzers memorize lists. It was the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, this is God speaking to Moses, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So, cliff notes. 
real quick. God said this about the people of Israel. I have seen, I have surely seen their affliction. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but God sees. God hears and God knows. Even if you feel like he is distant, he sees, he hears, he knows. And God said to Moses, I have come down to deliver them. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? And then God said, I'm sending you to go to Pharaoh. Wait a minute. God, you said, I, God has, God is saying, I have come to deliver them, and then you're telling me to go to Pharaoh? Let's not forget that even though this, the current Pharaoh was likely younger than 40 and didn't personally know Moses, Moses certainly still had connections in Pharaoh's house. And he kind of left the country on bad terms. Basically, God's saying, Moses, my way to deliver the people is to send you to Pharaoh. But don't worry, I will be with you. I will even give you a sign. When, as in after, you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve me on this mountain. Sometimes, not sometimes, most of the time. We have to take steps of faith. And we can see God's promises, right? But what was the sign God gave Moses? He's like, after it's all done, after you all get out of slavery and you come out here, we'll meet on this mountain. That's the sign. That means that it took a lot of steps of faith for Moses to obey The sign was actually more like a confirmation that he would have done the right thing, right? Have you ever felt that way when God gives you assignment, an assignment? Wait, you want me to do what? Let's continue reading uh, Moses' responses here. In Exodus 3, we'll pick up, uh, I'd like to read 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So God reveals his name. To Moses, right? Moses asks God a question. I'm, I'm also wondering if the bush was still burning that whole time. I don't know. Just one of those thoughts that you get when you're tired. Moses asks God a question. What shall I say to the people when they ask me, what is his name? This is an interesting question. 
In those days, a person's name was their identity. It was their destiny. It was their nature, their character. It was, as, as one person put it, the truth hidden in their bones. Their name was the core of who they were. And in Hebrew, if you, wanted to, if you met someone and you wanted to know their name, you would ask me, Shimka, or who is your name? But Moses didn't ask God, who is your name? Moses asked God, Mashimo, what is your name? What is the meaning of your name? What makes you, you? And for the first time recorded in the scriptures, God speaks his name to the people. He says, Eya Asher Eya, I am who I am. That really clarifies things, doesn't it? I am who I am. Whatever I will be, I will be. I am this way consistently. I'm unshifting. I'm the same 24-7. I'm stable. In third person, we say Yahweh. He is who he is. It can also be translated Adonai, master, Lord. In Exodus 6, verses 2 and 3, God gives Moses a little bit more. He says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. And then, when God appeared to Moses on the mountain, after they left Egypt, he gave Moses even more about his name. In Exodus 34, we read, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands or to the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's how God described himself, his name. He reveals his full name and identity and character and 24-7 nature. And the rest of the Old Testament is story after story of Yahweh in action, relating with and responding to his people in all of their failures and triumphs. The ultimate astonishing move of God was that in Jesus, Yahweh became human. Through Jesus, we get a clear glimpse of what God is actually like. God is a person. He is a relational being. He wants to relate to people. He wants to know and be known, not just be known about. You know, like, do you know my daughter? Oh, yeah, the one who has straight red hair and plays the violin. Yeah, but do you know her? Do you know that she's gentle and kind and has a really big heart for little kids that need a little extra love? God wants us to know him, not just know about him. 
not just be able to rattle off what we think he is like, but do we know him? Can we say what his nature is? He wants to become known personally by each person he has created. God is a relatable person, and he continues interacting with Moses. In um, Exodus 3, 18 and 19, God says to Moses, The elders of Israel will listen to your voice, and together you shall go to the king of Egypt. Now I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand. It's an interesting spot that Moses is in. God says, I'm going to deliver the people, but I want you to go. God says, I know Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. I know that the only way he'll listen is if he's compelled by a mighty hand, so I'll stretch out my hand. It's actually the best place to be. Because when God says go, we know that he's with us and he's going to stretch out his hand. And we don't have to force anything. Because he's the one who's doing it through us. In Exodus 4, Moses answered God, but we all kind of do that, don't we? I do that. But they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to Moses, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? Moses said, a staff. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. I think that's funny. He included that in there when he was writing about, you know, everything that was happening. You know, Moses wrote Exodus. Like, he wrote the fact that he was so scared of that staff that turned into a snake that he ran away from it. He included that little detail for us. The Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and, became, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. God gave Moses an assignment to talk to Pharaoh and deliver God's people out of bondage. God gave Moses his name. I am who I am. And he promised to be with Moses. And Moses still says, I can't do it. They won't listen to me. So God asks Moses a question, like all good parents do. What is in your hand? What is in your hand, Moses? Now, what was in Moses' hand? on that ordinary day in the desert in which he saw a bush that did not burn up and God started speaking to him. It was an everyday tool for his job of taking care of sheep. He had a staff in his hand, a normal object associated with his current career. And God took that ordinary thing in Moses' hand and he did something supernatural with it. Why did he do something supernatural with the ordinary object? 
It was so that the people of Israel would believe that the Lord, the God of their generations, the generational God, had appeared to Moses. If God showed up in your workplace today, what would be in your hand? You know, maybe a hammer. Maybe a pen. Maybe a set of blueprints. Maybe a paintbrush. Maybe a frying pan. Or a teacher's book. It's a science book. It's really cool. (laughs) The eyes are creepy, apparently. Or a mouse. What is in your hand? I believe God wants to ask each of us the same question he asked Moses. What is in your hand? And then he wants to take that ordinary, everyday object and do something supernatural with it. Sometimes we get this idea that God working through us is glamorous, filled with recognition, accolades, bells and whistles. It's, it's, it's all out there for everybody to see. My friends, don't be deceived. God does not serve us or our ego. He is displayed best through humble vessels who live knowing that we are nothing and he is everything. The reality is most of the time God works through what is in our hand in the midst of everyday life and the things that accompany what's in our hand. A patient smile. A bridled tongue. Kind coaching. Diligent workmanship. Faithful household tasks. Attention to detail or a thoughtful response. And in these everyday situations where he gives you the supernatural ability to reflect his name, minds can be changed. Eyes and ears are opened. Hearts are softened. And God gets people's attention. Why? So that he will believe So that, I'm sorry, why does he get their attention? So they will believe that God is who he says he is. God got Moses' attention, not just to wow him, but to reveal himself to Moses and then give Moses an assignment. Many times, these two questions go together. God asked Moses, what is in your hand? Moses asked God, what is your name? And I believe God wants to link those questions together in our lives. What is in your hand that he can use in a supernatural way so that the people around you will say, what is his name? What is he like? 
Remember, his name is his nature, his character. He is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. And he is forgiving. And so what is it today that you have in your hand that God wants to use in a supernatural way to get people's attention back to him? What is in your hand that will lead to the question from others, what is his name? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. But I just want, I would, I want to invite you to talk to God. Just yourself, right here. He is a relatable God. And I believe he will show you what you have in your hand that he can use in a supernatural way to release a whole group of people, to relate to a whole group of people that don't know him yet. See, when God sent Moses back to the people of Israel, we need to remember they didn't really know who God was. They had been in slavery for a long time. They did not have the privilege that we have of having the Holy Spirit within us. They they didn't really know who God was. And so Moses goes back to them to in a way, reintroduce them to the God of their fathers. God wants to relate to the people around us who don't know him yet. And we have the opportunity to partner with him in that. So I would like to ask you this question. What is in your hand? What object or skill do you have that God wants to do something supernatural through? Maybe you need help seeing how God could ever work through you. Maybe you need courage to allow God to speak through you. Maybe you need wisdom or self-control so he's the one shining through your actions. Maybe you need strength to obey his commands and walk in his ways. Maybe your heart needs a touch of his healing and grace. Or maybe your body needs a touch of his healing power. If you would like prayer today, I want to invite you to come for prayer. But in the meantime, let's stand. And let's worship the Lord together, Yahweh the great I am who I am, the one who consistently 24-7 for days and weeks and years and decades and centuries and millennia is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast and faithful love. He is worthy to be praised He is holy, and he desires to see us walk in freedom, to set us free, not just so we're free, but so that the people around us will see him, will be pointed to him. What is in your hand that will cause people to ask, what is his name?